first time ever. Hear you loud and clearly. Um, and it was going place. That stuff's great. But the game is not a roguelike. Boomer shooter. <laughs> Bang. Hello, this is John St. John, and you're listening to KWEP In The Keep, bringing you all the hits from the finest in the world of gaming and entertainment. Now sit back and relax as the drowned god Cathala lulls your mind with the tastiest talk in town. Welcome to another chapter of In The Keep podcast. I'm your very own prophet of the drowned god, the Motherlode. The Keep is a collective of gaming enthusiasts compelled by the drowned god Cathala to frag and jib one another into oblivion for all eternity. Welcome to the Falco Show. Uh, we have our guest today, Mr. Falco Crimson. How are you? <laughs> so, I think, well, I did your podcast, but this is your first time on in the key so welcome chris <laughs> would you like to introduce yourself sure yeah my name is christopher guerrero i've uh, been on the project since uh, i guess since day one right i've had the pleasure uh, of dipping into you know some of the writing and some of the uh some of the casting and and playing around with different enemies and different different um characters in the story so it's been such a blast. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to be part of such like a, a, a just a video game. I mean, that's like every kid's dream, man. You, you're yeah. working on a video game, you know. It's it's really cool how uh, you you and I just cross paths at exactly the right time in life, like we're where we're both just like insane, crazy people working towards these like goals that all of our friends don't quite understand but we just found a way to like meld our two sort of like gifts together in many ways yes yeah, yeah. it's kind of funny because i remember the first day i met you you were kind of like the most anti-social person <laughs> like in the in the party <laughs> and uh all i heard was like all of these things about you all these great terrific things about you but i just see this little guy like in like a danzig shirt <laughs> <laughs> just, oh yo because we met at the halloween uh, party i forgot I about that no words i just saw you i just saw i totally just forgot about alone, that like oh I my god i hate this I, I wish i had a picture of that and I, of that costume i was wearing I, I did it yeah it was pretty yeah funny. so i was i was already dressed up in that with like the makeup and everything and i was uh i was streaming um a dread x collection game i think it was the the blues clues one you know for halloween dressed up in costume and then i got off of that went to that party and then that's when we met we got hammered dude you you and i were like walking down the street with wine glasses at one point <laughs> trying to get away from uh jake oh yeah immediately like once <laughs> once you started talking about things that you cared about it was immediate immediately into like a very enthusiastic a very a very uh much more happier version of yourself you just you really opened up once you wanted to talk about the things you liked um i, I wouldn't say that it's like oh. the things that i like necessarily i just i'm i know that i come across in groups oftentimes like the the sort of antisocial individual but i think i'm just like a very um introverted like most most of the dialogue that happens with me is inside my own head like i've 
I've usually gone through many iterations of what I'm, what I want to say before I ever speak to anyone. So, you know, when you see me at these like fucking, you know, somebody's house party, I, I guess I would, I, I know how I come across. Like I know, I know how I come across like at a bar, for instance, if, if someone's meeting me for the first time, I, I can, I can seem really stoic, but you know me, I'm, I'm pretty conversational. <laughs> oh yeah. A thousand percent. You are. Yeah. I don't know. But I, I, maybe I should work on that. Maybe I maybe I put people off at, on first impressions. I wouldn't say put people off. It's just kind of like it just looked like you didn't want to be there. It's just, <laughs> it just looked well, like was, oh, I got to go to another fucking party with my wife. That's what it looked like. Oh well, I mean, you know, that's <laughs> that's just part of life at a certain point. But no, I had a good time. It was great. I, I remember the evening fondly because uh, I I recall how like jake jake was like really kind of tore up and he just kept like we were trying to talk and he just kept following us around like a baby like we'd just like go outside and just like here he comes what are you guys talking yeah, about it was so uh, funny that was so funny man he's, he's a really hard to work around when he's drinking <laughs> hey, hey, hey hey he's a fun guy but yeah no 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 i so I guess uh, I guess we'll have to dive into kind of your background a bit. So you you were born in uh, San Antonio. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. Southern Texas. So you like San Antonio area, or did you grow up in like San Antonio proper? No, in San Antonio and, and around Texas, really. Um, so when you went to basic training, you just drove to basic training, basically. Yeah, it was like a okay drive. Yeah. yeah, it was like a three plane flight for me yeah, it was a long day i had to, well i had to take a bus to montgomery where uh gunter is you know what i'm talking about where the officer school is that's where meps is for alabama and then you know you do the meps thing they put you in a hotel for the night you wake up at 4 30 in the morning and then you're on a plane all day long and then arriving at lackland like you get off of the airport in dallas and then they would just put you on a bus and take you on to Lackland. And then that's when it's like, you got three seconds to get off my pissing bus. Like that moment. Yeah, I was the first dude yeah. off that bus because nobody else wanted to get off. Damn, I, son. Every, everybody was sitting down. I, I was like, I dude, I'm too fucking old for this. Like, I, I got <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. It was such a, that's such a weird part of life. But anyway, uh, back to, back to old Chris Guerrero. So, you, um, if I recall correctly, you grew the interest in acting in high school from uh, was it the Edgar Allan Poe thing, right? You did like a monologue and kind of realized you had some some talent. Yeah, the story was called "I Might Be Edgar Allan Poe." And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I realized I just I wasn't a great debater. Uh, debaters had to be speaking facts at like ten times the normal speed of your regular speaking it was just it was ridiculous you had to spit out an enormous amount of facts all the time and it just didn't feel genuine it didn't feel real to me i was like oh, i don't i don't really dig it so my teacher came up to me and he was like you know man just uh take a shot at this this story try storytelling and i was like okay and immediately um i really enjoyed that story because um i had always been bullied and, and kind of uh, an outcast for having ptsd uh, I would I would get bullied by kids in school and they would call me like a crybaby or you know all, all kinds of names um, because PTSD uh, when it occurred 
sometimes I couldn't control it. I'd have to like run out of the classroom and then let it happen. Um, the PTSD was more about uh, an incident that happened uh, when I was 13. My father was killed in an accident and I was there with my brother. But the reason that it ties into the story of Edgar Allan Poe, I might be Edgar Allan Poe, is because I read the story in front of the class. And the first time I read it, I didn't try anything. I wasn't faking anything. I was just connecting with this person in the story that had PTSD. And he keeps, he keeps talking about how, you know, these doctors think that he's crazy, that he's out of his mind, that he's, he's not well. And it's all because he keeps thinking and keeps having these traumatic episodes of thinking of um, throwing a girl off a building, off a burning building into a trampoline and he misses. He misses the trampoline and she splatters all over the pavement. So when I read that in front of the class, uh, automatically, I had such a huge connection to the literature and I had no idea what was going on. Uh, and the class was like, oh my God, are you okay? It sounded like it happened to you. Like that was intense. That was really good. And I was like, I came out of it and it was, it was almost like I came out of like a, like a fog, man. I was like, what the fuck just happened to me? I just connected with paper, you know, it was just so strange. It never happened before. So it was kind of like an epiphany, like an aha moment. And they were like, okay, Chris, uh, you got to take that to a competition. So I started doing this story and, and a couple of other stories on stage, uh, doing it in front of large audiences and, and auditoriums. And just out of fucking nowhere, just, just got number one, number one, number one, number one. People kept asking me, like, dude, how long have you been acting? Dude, like, where, where's this story from? Who are you? Like, what's your name? Um, and I told him, man, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm just reading a story and connecting with the paper. Like, I'm not trying. You know, I'm not here to make anybody like me. I'm just, I, I truly feel what this, this character is feeling. I connect with it. And it just gave me the confidence to, um, it, it was that driving factor, that, that, main, that main source of fuel for me to uh, express myself in a constructive way, to find a way to um, kind of mend the pain and, and, and figure out how to use it in a positive way. You're, you're in general, and I'm sure that was very formative in why you are the way you are, but you're, you're a very intense person, <laughs> to put it mildly. Like, huh. you, you come on very strong. Op complete opposite personality type to me, I would say. Uh, but maybe that's why we gel so well. But yeah, like, you just, I don't know, you, you have this air about you when you or trying to express yourself that's like everything's turned up to 11 compared to most <laughs> of us walking the streets. But I, I, I imagine that that sort of natural charisma is very helpful in, you know, stage acting or really just delivering lines of any kind. And the physicality too, you bring a lot of that to the table as well, even though in what you're doing for us right now is just a, a voice acting uh, role, but well, but more than that, but we'll get into what all you've managed to snake your little fingers around and uh, steal from me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, hmm. yeah. If I had to describe Chris Garo in one word, I'd be like intense. <laughs> too much. That's two words there. Oh yeah. I, I, sometimes I wonder if like uh, some some people do tell me, hey man your energy gives me anxiety, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. like I'm so yes. high energy sometimes. Uh, and I don't even notice it. It's like, it's, it's nothing that even comes to mind. I, I live life so 
instinctually. I don't even think about a damn thing. Uh, I just go with the flow and I try to be in the moment as much as possible. I'm uh, kind of going through this period in, in my life where I'm sort of relearning how to do that, how to just like act out of spontaneity because like the military really did just make me a very much a creature of habit, like routine. It became extremely important and everything. And now I just have the freedom to be like, ah, oh, fuck it. It's Wednesday night. Let's go to new Orleans. Like that kind of shit. It's a, it's very different, but with that also comes the, it's a double-edged sword because you have to hold yourself accountable for getting your work done. <laughs> and that, that can be, I don't find it challenging, but I, I can definitely see how someone who isn't fueled by an inner motivation, like someone who needs outward uh, reinforcement in order to be motivated, which some, you know, that's like probably most of the population I would imagine would struggle um, to go through such a transition. Yeah, I was, I was talking to my brother about uh, something similar the yeah. other day. Uh, I was mentioning it to him that, you know, I want to say like 80% of my day, if not more, is always in the moment. I'm always not in my head. I, I, I'm just right here. I'm right here. And I, and I don't even know what I'm going to say next most of the time. <laughs> Clearly. Some people are just too scared or, or some people are just too uncomfortable to be that, uh, that free with themselves. They need that extra time to kind of uh, accumulate what they're thinking. And, and they, and it's almost in a very sensitive way that you want to approach life is like, okay, will I hurt this person's feelings? Will I um, affect the situation in such a different way that, you know, will um, make a different outcome that I didn't want? You know, mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck about any of that. I'm right here. I'm right here. I don't give a fuck. I'm right here, man. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to go out there and hug you. I'm going to go out there, uh, <laughs> say something stupid, say something, I don't know, something witty. And that's the whole point of it is, is that's, I, in my opinion, that is the absolute most true version of yourself. And if you can accept that, you know, life is just so much more interesting and everything is so much faster and so much more, and I don't know, just better. I, I love it. I love not being in my head. I fucking love it, man. Oh, it's way better. That's, <laughs> that's like the cure to depression is like, just stop do, doing the, you know, the self-deprecating cycle in, in someone's head when they just can't stop obsessively thinking about a negative thought. Uh, I've been through that many times and yeah, like there's a real art form to just there's a real levity to just letting go, like it, it, taking your hands off the reins or, or floating down the the river of cognition, so to speak, instead of trying to fight the current. Um, but that could be very challenging for a lot of people. You, you just have like a this sort of gift. <laughs> Should be proud of it. It's not a gift. It, it was actually this. It's not natural. Um, okay, so this I learned was something that very early on. Okay. Yeah, after my father had died and. Um, I'd watched him die. It, it, he died right in front of me. Uh, my brother was really torn apart uh, physically. Like his arms were like broken open. I could see bones and blood splurting everywhere. It was like watching Saving Private Ryan or some shit. Um, I saw black and white for a couple of uh, hours. It was it was rough. Um, I had a concussion that almost killed me. 
Mm-hmm. And so throughout school, uh, as a young teenager, I was 13 at the time, 13 to 18, uh, kids are brutal, man. Um, seeing a 14 year old boy cry in the middle of class and freaking out, like, you know, I got my head hit on the window. People don't know what that is, or they don't understand what PTSD is. They just think I'm fucking crazy or I'm a pussy or like he has daddy issues, all kinds of shit. And the, in the, in the friends that I did make that understood and just kind of took a second to understand who I was because I was so insanely depressed and uh, hurt, you know, it, it was confusing. Well, not only, you know, the uh, it, trauma of the incident itself, like the PTSD associated with that and with losing a parent, you know, and going through all of the, that crap, the fact that you had a terrible concussion, probably, I, mean, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I have to always say that on the podcast when I start talking about this kind of stuff, but like th- that shit can really fuck your brain up. It can, it can send you It, it to me uh, when I, I have had a few pretty horrific concussions, but the one that was the worst when I was like, uh, it's probably 19, 20. It was when I was wrestling, but it, it can just really change the wiring of your brain in a pretty negative way. Um, and I feel like from the outside looking in, you, because you don't see the injury, you know, there's no physical, visible injury there when it's your brain. <laughs> um, it's difficult for people to be empathetic. Whereas, you know, if you're, if yeah. you're like physically like maimed, people can see the scar, they can see the issue with you. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I may have been too young to really know if it if it had some sort of personality or, or some sort of chemical effect to yeah. to change me. Um, I was too young to really understand, but I do know that I started to develop this habit of being able to turn it on and off my my instinct uh, when I it I was probably around the age of like nineteen or twenty when I found out what that was. Um, I, I think the first time I ever realized what being in the moment was when I was on stage doing a competition play in high school and I had no idea what it was or what I was doing, but I know it was something different. Uh, at some point, my teacher had told me we were, we were in the top eight in the state of Texas for this UIL play. And I was like one of the lead, I was the lead actor. I had the most lines and I was kind of like the, the main character driving the story. And I, I remember one time she just told me, Chris, you know, your lines just be in the moment. Uh, the only thing you have to focus on is the person in front of you. And when she said that, I, I remember the first time it happened on stage, it, it was like, the crowd didn't even exist anymore. Everything was just black. And the only thing I could see was just the person in front of me. And nothing was more clear in my mind than just the person in front of me, hearing them talk to me and, and just reading their behavior. And, and I, I remember that, that that feeling just felt so right that I wanted to chase it for the rest of my life. It was the best fucking weird, strange, like it was like being in a fucking, like, I don't know, it was like, waking up in the matrix or some shit like oh my god i'm finally out of the matrix like this is what fucking life is and that aha moment i i've been chasing that my whole life um but that's when i was about 17 18 
when I started to understand how to turn it on and off was when I found a teacher in Austin. Her name is uh, Laurel Vouvray, and she is a magnificent Meisner teacher. And after two years of, of being in class and understanding how to, how to use this, this tool of being able to turn it on and off, I'm telling you, man, it was like, it was like chasing that feeling of like waking up from the matrix every single time. And it only got better once I started to put layers and layers and layers of acting on it. So, you know, independent activities and reasons for being there and wants and, uh, behaviors and, and, uh, impediments, accents, uh, movement, everything, everything just stirring in the pot with being in the moment. It was like, man, I, 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 there's there's nothing else that just makes me uh, drink. It feels like I've drank like 20 cups of coffee when I talk about it. I perk right up, man. It's it's my thing. So was there like a clear sort of career path for you leaving high school, doing what you wanted to do? Or like how, how did you kind of end up where you're at now? Well... I would say once high school ended, I realized that I was a really bad student. I, <laughs> I had no idea how to even apply to college. And all I knew is, damn, like I just, I want to be an actor. So first thing I did was I started Googling how the fuck did these actors become actors, you know? And what I realized after reading like 50 biographies of all of my favorite actors and watching so many movies and, and trying to figure out like what the real deal is, you know, I, I wanted to understand like the very complicated processes of how acting even works. So I, on my own, I started to dig into the history and the, uh, and, and the backgrounds of like all these people. And it came down to what we know as the Stanislavski technique. It was a gentleman from Russia that came over to the United States in the early 1900s. And he introduced the the technique of modern acting as we know it, you know, uh, and from him, he, he, he kind of introduced three American uh, acting coaches that were the founders of what we know as modern acting today. The, all of their techniques are what you'll find in most really structured acting classes. All right. So um, before we go down this rabbit hole, um, sure. Can you describe the difference in acting pre and post Meisner or yeah, like what you'd sure. call this modern, like what, what does that mean when you say like it, the modern acting, like how, how has it changed since the, you know, the early 1900s so, and prior? Uh, what really changed was the three the three founders of acting in, in America, they decided to drop or or really focus on certain parts of the Stanislavski technique. So for example, the most famous one that you're gonna hear in the news all the time is the is the method acting, right? The the one where like, oh my God, this guy's going to be the character. He's gonna go around and live as a right. homeless person or this is your Daniel Day Lewis. Kind a, of, yeah. Correct. And so Daniel Day-Lewis has repeatedly stated that that's very misunderstood about him. 
he's not necessarily a Lee Strasberg actor. You know, he doesn't he doesn't specifically follow that technique. He has his own technique that he's built up from years and years yeah. of training and, and working in the uh, old Crown Vic in in London. I would love to go see that that theater, by the way. But anyway, he um, yes, the Strasberg technique is very famous for for making actors. Uh, go out into the real world and try to live as that character for long periods of time and really convince yourself that you are this person or this thing. Um, I have taken a Strasbourg class before. I think that some people would not enjoy it if you aren't... Uh, you have to be really vulnerable in that class. You have to be, invul- you have to be vulnerable in all of them. But I remember the one of the first days in a, in a Strasbourg class, um, they asked you to get up on a stage and there's only one light that's shining down on you. And they want you to announce your most traumatic, most horrible thing that has ever happened to you. And they want you to use a monologue to channel that feeling that you had when you were, you know, talking about your story into the class. They, They want you to announce it to the class. And I mean, man, you're, you'll be in that class and you're like, holy shit, some people were raped. Some people were beaten. Some people were uh, robbed at gunpoint. Some people were, um, some, sometimes it's not even that bad. Sometimes the worst thing that ever happened to somebody was um, their parents divorced and they were yelling at each other or, you know, some their dog got hit by a car. Or acting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but the, the Strasbourg method is just a little different. Okay. Um, it, it, in, it, in its own unique way, they, they focus on a lot of uh, a lot more self is the best way to put it. The Strasbourg technique is very self-oriented, uh, very self-based. Everything is about you. What I really enjoyed about the Meisner technique and all the times I've had uh, about five or six years of experience is that the Meisner technique is always about the other person. It is always about the other person. And that is one of the biggest factors in, in between those two techniques. So the Meisner technique, when you do repetition, the only thing that matters in that room is you having eye contact with the other actor and reading their behavior. And the behavior will lead the scene to wherever it needs to go. That is always the foundation of Meisner acting is reading behavior. And once you master that concept and your independent activities and your reasons for being there and relationships and you know, the list goes on, um, then you have a scene. You have a real scene there. And good actors are able to walk into the room and change it, you know, without without hesitation. You know, what did you want from this person? This time I want to make this person laugh. You know, this time I want to make this person feel uncomfortable. This time I want to make this person like me. And so reading behavior, you can find out all of these patterns of what people do and how they are naturally, you know? And to me, that's just the most interesting thing in the world. I, I, it's endless. The amount of different kinds of combinations you can find in people, it's endless. Everybody has such a different background in a story and their impediments are different and their reasons for doing things and their wants. It's, it's, uh, like an infinite thing. You're, it's like chasing something that can never be caught. You know, I love it. I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of at a loss for words. 
I'm always blown away when you talk about how intricate this is and how much education and like time spent that you've put into thinking about techniques and everything. But it seems like, you know, there's like more than one school of this where it's like you, you're the kind of person who wants to like take everything apart, you know, down to the element and then start from there and work your way back towards, you know, your ultimate goal. Whereas some people, um, at least seem like when they're acting, they're just go, they're just like, they've put no thought into it. They're just doing it. Does that make sense? Like, uh, yeah, some people, like, you have people yeah, who like never like, went to fucking school. Like they just like walk right out of wherever and like, Hey kid, you got something. And then they become an actor. Yeah, I guess it came down to just me really falling in love with something. Yeah. And that's the difference is, uh, you know, when you love something, you really do. And there's been nothing in my life that has ever come close to that feeling. And it must be a really uh, deep seated feeling in me because I, I, I truly do love it. I would do anything for it. I would lie, cheat and steal. I would break up with a girlfriend. I would I would sell my car, you know, I'd, I'd do anything. I don't give a fuck, man. If you told me I could be like acting every single day for the next two years and all I had to do was just sell all of my personal belongings, take it and <laughs> let me fucking live. Let me fucking live. I want to go and do Faust. I want to go and do Sam Shepard's True West. I want to go and do Tennessee Williams, uh, The Streetcar Named Desire. Let me fucking learn, man. That's all I give a fuck about. I'll do a play in a different language and I'm going to fucking kill it. I'm going to fucking kill it, dude. It's always so cool how, like like Julia, right? How uh, she's an opera singer and she'll sing all these, like she knows all of these operas that are like in French or German or Russian or some shit and she doesn't speak a word of any of those languages. She just knows the opera by heart. Um. I knew that like, the singer for the Scorpions, if I remember correctly, did not speak English, but had just simply memorized all of the words to their songs <laughs> and kicked ass. So that'd be really interesting. I, I can't even imagine like having to, like, you know, I, I guess you'd have to have some sort of translation or at least a, a an idea of what the words mean in order to portray the emotion necessary to sell the scene you, you know if it if it were actually in another language that you don't understand yeah there's there's a french play that my acting teacher actually introduced me to that i'm I'm reading right now and i'm getting ready for my university auditions in about 200 ish 250 days about <laughs> um i remember i remember i, I am 250 one. days out <laughs> yes, counting them down like that it's it's close yeah. i have them i have them on my phone um but so you have to you're auditioning yeah even before you get out of the air force if if i remember correctly yeah okay <laughs> exactly hey yeah, dude I'm, like as soon as it. my contract is up it's like a month later and then i go into school and there's nothing i'm more excited about in my whole life than this i've been waiting four years you know, well by the end of it i'll be waiting four years yeah, uh, but that's the whole reason I joined was to have this opportunity, man. I mean, what a fucking opportunity! We only have one life, one life. How crazy would it be to be in a fucking program like at Juilliard or USC or NYU, 
studying with the fucking people that have put more time into this than I have and have more respect for it and um, can only can only make you better. It's only positive. It can only make you better. And, and the military's paying for it. You got to be fucking crazy not to go for your dreams, man. You got to be fucking crazy if you have dreams and you didn't want to go for it, you know? And I think it's uh, it's it's really interesting how um, it's, it's sort of like hitting the reset button on life, I would say. Is you know, I just basically put put life on pause for the duration of that six years and sort of <laughs> accepted that things were going to suck. But like I came out on the other end so much better off than when I left or when I walked in, if that makes sense. Like mm-hmm. I was in such a yeah, it's, it's just dark success. place prior to joining and I as as difficult as it was and as hard as it was and as many crazy things went on that you know i can now kind of some of them fond memories and some of them i'm happy they're behind me but yeah i came out way better um i'm not trying to ever like i'm definitely people listening if you have any other option in life don't fucking join the military but i mean I, uh, and it seems like it's kind of a 50, 50 shot. Cause I, for every person who comes out, you know, like, a like, uh, if you remember Guy Meyer, or I guess I would be a pretty good example. There's the other person who I know who's just walked away with nothing. And that's makes me, that makes me sad. But yeah, I think I, I think I got a pretty sweet deal. Like I, <laughs> I didn't really go anywhere and, uh, I was able to have that safety cushion to start my business and, you know, build this whole thing up to what it is now. And it, it took me places. Plus I met you and a lot of other really cool people. There's, there's something about being up at 4am with somebody uh, trapped in a fucking room, all wearing the same uniform that just, you can't replicate (laughs) elsewhere. Man, that's a fucking true statement. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a, I mean, I have my, like my best friends that have been my best friends since I was a little boy, but then I have like a few people from my time in the service that I, you know, if you and I just didn't talk for 40 years and then one day we were both at like a squadron reunion or whatever, I'm sure we would, it would be like, you know, we went to bed and woke up the next day and we're still friends. Like we would even, we wouldn't even know that time had passed. And there's, I feel that way about like John Malachi and about Jake and several other people, but yeah, but it's just like a different kind of bond that, uh, I tried, I tried to explain it to people and if they've never gone through it, they they just can't understand it seems. That is very true though. I, I was always concerned about how I was going to be discipline wise when I came in before I came in. But it is true, man. Once you realize, like, everybody's waking up at fucking midnight to go to work and then leaving at 8 a.m. or, um, you know, working this 24-7 operation, whatever the fuck. Like, going through that together and then on top of that, learning some really tough science is like, it's... Oh, yeah, we should clarify get, that. You know what I so, mean? So, for people listening, uh, Chris and I were both uh, weather forecasters who we were stationed at a uh, hub for all of like it basically a control center not control that actually makes it sound like we're engineering the weather i don't mean that but the the squadron is in charge of forecasting the weather and putting out 
um, warnings and providing um, briefs to pilots across the entire western side of our continent and South America. And oftentimes, w- w- in coordination with other squadrons like that, you know, if one of the us, if either us or one of them goes down, everyone else picks up the slack. Um, so, you know, if if say there's an internet outage at a different squadron, we would continue to execute the mission, you know, by dividing the work up amongst everyone who was not currently going through that process. Um, so sometimes the workload could be nothing, you know, sometimes it could be like, we ain't doing shit today, boys. And sometimes it could be like, oh my God, there's, you know, tornadoes ravaging everything and a volcano just went off. And and also there's a hurricane and oh shit, (laughs) here comes snow and you never know. And it's so wild to me, but isn't it incredible that within the span of a couple of years, you go from a fucking moron to in many cases, a, a, con- a consummate scientist. A fucking moron, <laughs> dude. That's I, it, so it's crazy. True. Holy you think shit. about it. You in, are in a, a matter moron. of in a matter of like eight months. You know, that's what the the length of the enlisted uh, technical training for a weather forecaster is. You go from knowing virtually nothing about the weather outside of what you've seen on the news or Wikipedia or whatever the fuck to being put in the hot seat and told like, Hey, if you don't figure out how to put out a warning on time, millions of dollars in government assets will be destroyed and it'll be your fault. (laughs) That's, that's what we did or that's what you still do. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. Good as fuck too. It's yeah, man, I fucking, I, RP is my favorite fucking job in the, in the service. I tell you that. It's re- right resource protection. Folks. Yeah. Uh, in my opinion, there's this I is, love a bad day on RP. I love this, a bad day with bad weather. We got to oh, clarify for people day. listening, Chris, like people don't know what the fuck that means. Like, so you this is a position resource protection, baby. Y- yeah, but what does that mean to a what what did uh <laughs> what what would 22-year-old Chris think of the words resource protection like would you know that that means a gate with a gun because i know that your next you know when i ask you to clarify this you'll be like oh it means you issue wwas and i'll be like come on man help these people out (laughs) they don't know what you mean by that resource Um, protection is where you you watch a bunch of different products like satellites satellite imagery or or uh, radar or um certain instruments that can that can measure the atmosphere and you watch it and you monitor it and you make sure that uh, if there is any kind of moderate to severe weather going on, that you will issue it on time. Issuing a, a watch warning a or advisory. Um, like a weather ad- advisory for, for the folks out there. You yeah, got to understand, man. Like, you're going to learn this really fast. Like the rain, the thunderstorms, yeah. the tornadoes, or whatever the fuck, really. Your your vocabulary is different from normal people now. You just have all this like specialized knowledge and and ways of condensing long sentences into acronyms that doesn't apply to anyone who doesn't do what you do anymore. Which was it's it's just difficult <laughs> to adjust to um in the real world. Like every time I'm around my family, they're like asking me about 
weather shit. And I'm like, unless you bring me a, a dry erase board, I mean, we're not going to get anywhere with this conversation, mom. <laughs> I mean, I can teach you how to do this, but it's going to take a minute, <laughs> at least eight months. You know, what's funny is like some people will be like, wow, that's it. Like, that's all it is. It was like, nah, bro, let me break it down. Let me break it down <laughs> to you. Yeah, this it. What a crazy world we live in where there's like a 200 knot jet, right? At like the 200 millibar level, just smashing through air, mixing all of these, all of these different chemical compounds and like. He's talking about the the polar, the the jet stream folks. Yeah. And it's driving all of these cold fronts and warm fronts causing all these different kinds of weather patterns all across the entire earth that we live on. And there's hurricanes and there's tsunamis and tornadoes and fucking thunderstorms. And there's, here we are at the bottom, just waiting for it to happen. But there's, there's some two, guy on a computer watching it. You know? there's, there's two secret uh, like hacks to being a great weather forecaster. If someone asks you why something is happening, you can always say, and you'll never be wrong. You could just say differential heatings of the Earth's surface, <laughs> and that that is what causes all weather. Like in a, in one sentence, in one phrase, really, the the differential heating of the Earth's surface, like the way that the sun contacts the surface and heats it up differently across the Earth itself, is what causes and drives everything to do with our weather and our our water cycle. Uh, done and then the other thing that you can always say uh, i'll never forget this phrase as long as i live and i know you won't either but um, unfocused lights of moderate intensity i gotta be honest i don't think i've heard that phrase before <laughs> really oh you've never you've never been an yeah, observer dude. so that's that's another thing you're no. you're you've never like taken an observation so oh god all right, now I have to explain to you and the audience what I'm talking about. Um, when you're observing the weather at night, so you can, you know, like every hour or so, or, you know, depending on what the weather's like, you go outside and you take measurements of everything, including the temperature, dew point, uh, visibility, um, pressure, like barometric pressure, which we convert to altimeter for pilots. And uh, you, write it into what we call a METAR, which is basically just an observation report. It's like a, it, there's a specific code that it follows so that it's easily disseminated and, you know, keeps a low data profile for dissemination across the internet. And at night, if you're trying to measure visibility, let's say there's fog or haze or something like that. If you're trying to, you're trying to report what the visibility is, uh, if you can see a light you know, and you know that that light is, we're, we're going to say, you know, seven or eight statute miles away from your point of view where you're standing and you can see the light, you can say that you have seven miles of visibility or eight, whatever the distance that light is away. But you can't do that with like, it can't be a fucking high intensity laser beam or like a, you know, a spotlight. It has to be an unfocused light of moderate intensity. So that meaning like a street light or, you know, a, uh, a, a window on a building where you can see someone has the lights on inside as opposed to, you know, something that would cut through the fog 
I can't believe you don't know that phrase. That's so wild. It's like uh, it's like nope, Mitar one hundred and one. Well, now I've just bored everyone yeah. with this story, including you. Honestly, I think a lot of people really like to hear weatherman shit. It's it's so. Um, <laughs> I remember prior prior military that I always thought the weather deep inside me. I always thought that the weather was like kind of like a really spiritual kind of like oh wow it's raining today because of my thoughts on this or you know. Uh, it's really cold today because I, I thought about this or, or God is trying to tell me something, right? And now that I'm a weather forecaster, it's like, <laughs> I just understand the science. You know, it's like, I dude, it's it's going to be fucking cold today. There's a cold front coming through. Uh, it's going to be here in the next three hours, uh, moderate winds. You know, I understand. Weather is different. What does keep me really interested in weather is that there's so many things that we still can't explain uh, there's a lot of reasons why we're not right and there's so much theories about about weather that keep you interested you're like man it's like we really we truly do not understand everything and it's because the scale is so huge and there's just no way to take an x-ray there are so many unknown variables yeah when it comes to you, know, you could say like well, okay well it's reasonable to think that there's moisture and there's you know lift and there's heat and all that kind of stuff and like okay well then there should be thunderstorms but you know there may be some other factor that you just don't get reported in the data that you happen to look at that day that could make you completely wrong um and there's also I mean, we use models to forecast this stuff and anybody here who you know has ever it doesn't matter the type of model just any predictive um, model uh, in our case weather but you know, that could be a you know economic or uh, climate you know related there's lots of different models out there um, but you're so dependent on it to be accurate and if it's inaccurate and you don't know that it's inaccurate you're inaccurate period the whole the whole job at this point like in the 21st century of a weather forecaster really is to just <laughs> initialize and verify the model. Like if the model's a little off, you correct for it, then you know what the weather's going to be. If the model's dead on, then you don't do shit. You just say what it says. And that's about, I'd, at least in my experience, like 80% of the job. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I try to viv, uh, verify and uh, make sure that the model is accurate to the observe data as much as possible you know I, I try to make sure that um yeah i do my job right because because it's interesting man when you when you get it down to the fucking dime you want to get that shit on time you know you want to issue a 35 knot warning with you know two hours of lead time on it or something like that <laughs> in my opinion i love that about the job i love trying to be accurate and trying to do a good job i love it i hated it at first but once i uh once I understood what I was doing and how the tools work, it was like, man, like this is a fucking fun, dude. This is fucking fun. I'm blasting fucking hip hop, old school '90s rap <laughs> in the fucking in the fucking uh, you know in the ops floor, and everybody's enjoying my fucking James Brown, and you know here I am like uh, pays pays the cost to be the boss, and I'm fucking sending out a severe. 45 not warning, you know, digging into all the, the clues and hints of like what 
what the atmosphere is telling me, what the observations and the models tell me. I fucking love it. It's a chase. It's a chase. And I would encourage people to work at the hub. I, I think it's fucking cool. Uh, the only thing that sucks, I would say, about working at the hub is like once you figure out what you're good at and what you like to do, it's hard to make it work out for you. You know, the, the job will require you to do things you don't want to do. And I, I guess in a philosophical way, that is good. You know, you need to be doing things you're uncomfortable with doing. Um, but I really do enjoy doing the hard science, doing the, it's, it's almost like being competitive. You know, it's almost like, uh, like, come on, man, try me, try me. I, I got this. I can handle heavy snow. I can handle uh, freezing precip or any of those really crazy weather events that, that need us. They, they truly need us. If you want to save billions of dollars in tax money, you call your weatherman. You make sure <laughs> the plane isn't going to fucking get destroyed. You make sure that people aren't going to die going across like Washington or Colorado where weather is fucking crazy, you know? So they you never uh, here and, and you never got to do any forecasting for the, the Air Force Academy, right? No, no. But I do see that they put like 70 knots in their TAF. It's just fucking oh. crazy. Uh, yeah, the TAF being the uh, the the coded forecast for for those terminal aerodrome forecast. Um, yeah, it's like wild how much power I had as like a strapping young A one, you know, Air, Airman first class in like on my first day in the job, and they just turned me loose. So like, here's the Air Force Academy, which is in Colorado Springs, is one of the worst imaginable places that you could ever dream of having an airfield like parallel to the biggest mountain range on a continent and windy and snowy and fucking bizarre crazy weather happens there and it's such an intense uh job because not only are there you know cadets out there who are training to fly aircraft you know literally like with little glider planes almost uh there, there's also people doing uh you know parachute practice and there's just a shitload of people like personnel there you know i mean you can't have 50 knots just knock over the all of the cadets who are future officers of the air force it would be insane um i, I remember many times yeah put, putting out stuff and then it not happening and them calling me and being pissed was like well like well we thought it was going to happen they're like well it didn't and you've had these cadets you know taking shelter in their dorm or underneath the bus or some shit for three hours man i'm like oh shit my bad bro sorry it's so hard to be able to forecast for some place you've never seen before you know it's, well i have seen colorado springs but yeah i mean i've i've never been to i've forecasted for you name it everywhere in the world it feels like the south america forecasted for the middle east for russia well not russia uh but like western europe i would say like from russia over i've done all of that <laughs> i've drawn charts for all of these places uh, I, I think the only continent the only continents that i never did anything for is antarctica obviously there's not a lot of interesting um there's not a lot of planes flying in and out of there, first of all. And and then the other one being, I don't think I've ever done anything for Australia. But I have, uh, I the did. Pacific I Ocean, I've done that. 
I did some charts, like some graphics charts for Australia, like South Korea, Japan. China. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Which, so uh, can be difficult if you don't know what the fuck you're doing, but it was a good time. It was a good time. Okay, so like, let's uh, let's talk about, you know, the thing that we actually are doing now that we're promoting here, <laughs> a little bit. Um, I was a little disappointed when I was on your show. I mean, not even disappointed. It's actually a nice thing, but like, we spent you know what over two hours chatting and like never got into video games like really at all we just like did not discuss that which is nice but this show is kind of about video games so we do have to talk about stellar valkyrie yeah man (laughs) um i guess you i mean you said since day one and really you technically have because you auditioned for the we're not going to name it because it hasn't been announced or anything but you auditioned for another project that In the Keep was originally working on, and I, that's what I had asked you to audition for. And then production on that was put on like more or less like a permanent halt, and you know while we decided to then let's work on Stellar Valkyrie, and that the concept came from Scumhead and Ubergawai was all in on it, and then we needed to we need someone to play our main character. <laughs> And that's when you kind of came into the picture. But I am curious, like, what was your initial sort of impression of indie games and and doing this development and everything? I would say that I had absolutely, like, zero knowledge of what I was getting into. All I know is that I've been in a booth before for, for voice acting and... A lot of times I would just be reading a script and they would give me direction and I would change, you know, change, change, change. And I know that it required a lot of um, attention to detail on on being free. So many people are worried about being weird or or doing something strange with their voice where, oh, I'm embarrassed or whatever. I don't have that fucking filter, thank God. So that's what gives me the freedom to just be whoever the fuck I need to be. Yeah. And, um, what I like about voice acting is that I can make my own cuts, you know, there's, there's a point where the creative freedom is really down to how many versions you want to put on the, uh, on the sample or on the, uh, on the take and just playing around, just taking the time to, figure out why this person is doing it this way and that way. And it's, it's very much more a, a personal process. So it's interesting. I, you know, I get to play around with the character Falco um, in a way that is, is very unique to me. I can, I can play around and just be goofy and, and be this really funny character with like, God knows how many voice lines of uh, bird one liners or, or even the other characters, you know, getting to write for Elkman or something like that. It's fun because the creative process is open to samples. I don't have to worry about um, being wrong necessarily. It's more about what what kind of character can I bring to the table? And I have a large team to collaborate with and say, hey, man, this isn't right. Or, hey, man, this is right, you know? 
it's it's such a positive and such a constructive way of being creative and it's it's, a, it's an awesome opportunity huh it's it, it is really interesting because like and I, I work on many different things but like stellar Valkyrie as a project uniquely I think has just been extremely democratic in that sort of everything we do like the entire team is invited to participate in the conversation whether that be the writing or like just like hey we're all like even you know there's no reason necessarily why you have to be part of a play test except that it's like we want your opinion you're part of it we're, we're all in this together um and that's not to say that there isn't that in in a lot of games especially in smaller teams but there you know there becomes a point <laughs> where you know once you have 30 40 50 100 people working on something like they can't possibly all be communicating efficiently and then you have different layers of you know uh, leadership or or management involved at that point but as long as you're below uh i don't know i think i think if you're below like 10 people it's pretty easy to just kind of like let everyone have a say in the conversation so for instance like uh in, just in our discord we, you and I have been auditioning voice actresses uh, for Cat for the last couple of days. I, I, you've been killing it, man. You've—I I don't even—I don't understand how many. How do you put so much work in, in you know, in a day? Because I know you—you're <laughs> like a machine sometimes. But anyway, um, dude, when when it comes to acting, I—it's not even work. It's just anything related to that subject is just heaven to me. I can't fucking wait to get to my computer and just start fucking typing away. I fucking love it. I yeah, I feel very similarly about <laughs> making games just in general. Like I, I just absolutely, I, I feel like I have this like bottomless barrel of energy. Be because, like you said, it's like it gets me so excited. You know, when I start talking about something that I really believe in, it's like twenty cups of coffee. You know, it's it. To what, actually 20 cups of coffee could not give you the same kind of like positivity and energy that working on something you're passionate about can if that makes uh sense but but like you know we're, we're posting these and everyone in the entire discord can see it <laughs> and and we're all commenting like i like this one i like that one i don't you know and someone will bring up a different point you know, than someone else. And we'll actually always like sit there and have a discussion about it. Like, you know, no one's, <laughs> um, I'd say no one's voice goes unheard with Stellar Valkyrie. Yeah. And it's, it's so much fun to be able to see like the, the sound guy and the music guy and the, the graphic artist guy and the, just, just anybody, you know, come into those, those meetings and, a lot of times, I think they really do have a valid input. It's so cool to have everybody's opinion. Well, like it's only positive. I'm I'm always blown away by someone who can do shit that I can't do. Like the opportunity to work with someone like Ben, or with someone like uh, with Tony on Call of Stragnar, or with Uber Gawai or Scumhead is or Scumhead being a Sam, he like they're so fucking talented, and what they do 
like their work to me is like magic. I just like, you know, I show up and I'm like, huh, you know, I think things ought to be a certain way or whatever. And then Ben will come back with just this, the most amazing, perfect sound effect for exactly what we needed with just like the only instructions are, you know, he's given is like some stupid, like very lacking explanation of what, you know, either I or Uber Gawai wants it to sound like. And and all he has to go off is our dumb monkey talk automatopoeia. <laughs> like, well, it needs to be like a good, like, a, you know, or something like that. And he could just walk away and come back with the perfect thing every time. Mm-hmm. And, and the same with you. It's like, you know, you, you just, you're, you were so like hungry to do more uh, to help out because, you know, you were initially just going to be a voice actor and then the next thing I know, it's like, shit, Chris has written half the script and is, you know, casting director. Like, you're going to have, like, this stupid long um, credit list compared to the rest of us. Oh, yeah. Anything related to acting, man. It's just, yeah. it's not even a job. It's not a job to me. It is, like, a, just a full-on passion. And the passion has always been, it's it sucks, you know. It, for For people that don't know, um, I was talking to my brother about this is that I, I started to realize once I got a little older is that passion, man, it is such a, it is such a, uh, what, what do they call it? Ty, they call it like a two edged sword or something like that. Yeah. Double edged. Yeah. Sword, it's, it sucks. It sucks in some ways because you know, I I I found that not a lot of people have a passion, you know, a passion that just like they wake up in the morning and that's the first thing they think about. Uh, a passion is something that you are in love with, and there's nothing in this world that will get between you and your passion. And it's it's hard because I think today, you know. Some people will argue like you need to find your passion in your early 20s. Your, when, once you're 18, you need to find out what you want to do with your life. That's so stupid. I was very, I was very, very lucky, I think, in some ways, as finding out that I had a passion when I was about 17. Um, it was a passion. I, I just, there's nothing else in this world that I have loved more and respected and have had interest in than acting specifically. And it's the history. It's, it's the whole thing. It's the technique, the, the culture. And it sucks because there's, there's going to be people that you meet anywhere in life, whether it be your job or your friends or your family that don't know what that is. They, they have no clue what the fuck that is. A lot of people live their life, just trying to survive, just trying to figure out how am I going to provide for my family? How the fuck am I going to, you know, pay, pay these bills? How the fuck uh, am I going to have a career in my life? In some ways, it's a curse. And in some ways, it's a blessing. But I have a fucking passion. And I swear to God, I'm going to be fucking acting on stage at 95 years old, having a heart attack. Doing what the fuck I love, you know, and and I'm so lucky that I found it so early on. I really am. I'm so fucking lucky in that way because there's nothing else that makes me happier. I'm I'm so guilty of being the kind of person who just 
goes all the way in on what I want to do, you know? So like the latest thing, you know, the past four years or so, it's been very video game centric, but prior to that, it was, you know, wrestling, it was uh, music. When I, when, if you'd asked me when I was like 16, you'd say like, Hey Ty, what do you want to do? You know, how do you think you're going to die? And I would say like, I hope that I'm rocking out on stage with my fucking ax shredding and I'm headbanging so hard that my head just rolls off and some kid in the crowd picks it up and takes it up to the guitar player and gets it autographed or, you know, some crazy shit like that. It, that's, I totally completely resonate and understand your mindset. I just like, I didn't figure out what my direction was until I was, you know, well into my twenties. There was no chance. Like what I was doing at 18 was like putting on tights and and jumping off of the top rope on top of people and shit, trying to do crazy stunts and not getting paid a dime for it just because I was crazy. And that's what passion does to people. And I think for some people, passion is, uh, something that is negative you know some people's passions uh it can it can harm them and and uh it can make them confused and 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 wonder like what the fuck like like why 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 do i like this thing and for whatever reason i just i can't let it go i've lost relationships for this passion i've lost money for this passion i've lost careers for this passion i've lost family time like like holidays i never give a fuck about holidays you tell me if i give a fuck about christmas you're talking to the wrong guy you're talking to the wrong guy because i'll be on christmas on the set reading my fucking lines and figuring out what this character is about i really don't give a fuck if i have to be there at christmas giving presents to sally i don't give a fuck man i really don't and it's really uh different I don't know if a lot of people have that kind of mindset. I don't think they do, but this life is for a different kind of person. And I'm the guy, (laughs) I'm the fucking guy. (laughs) And I'm going to be doing it till I'm 95 years old. Like I said, I'm going to be doing death of a salesman on stage, 95 years old, having a heart attack. (laughs) And I'm going to be in character. You're going to be like six scotches. The audience is going to enjoy the audience is going to enjoy a genuine performance. And that's all I've ever wanted to do with my whole fucking life is just give a real, honest, genuine performance. And I'll be there. So speaking of performances, you got to do some voices. <laughs> Which one? Well, I don't know. Like you, you, You're a master of accents. But I mean, we could do some. We could do some Falco stuff. We got to do some Falco stuff. But like anything that you like, I, I like your Joe Pesci a lot. I just I think you're really really good at that. Oh God, <laughs> I haven't been <laughs> practicing. Let me see. I hate to I hate to disappoint the audience out here. <laughs> um, I guess for Falco specifically, let's think of us. Uh, I got a bunch of one liners in here. Let me see. Falco's pretty much me, just, you know, just as the wackiest kind of like, I don't give a fuck kind of character. Um, Let's see. Falco. Uh, 
I mean, we have so many one-liners that it, it can't hurt to get the audience a couple of one-liners. Start, start on like page two. I think that's when the bird puns start because it, the, the original stuff was some of it was just like weird science crap, but like we, we so people, we have like a, we literally have a document. I, I, I'm trying not to disappoint. I promised in the initial interview that I did with uh, Zach Murphy, cause he asked, you know, like about the game and I'm like, Oh, there's going to be like 500 bird puns. And of course the headline, you know, or whatever, like it's, he wrote it in the article. He's like, he promises there'll be 500 bird puns. And I'm like, I don't even know 500 birds. I don't even know 50 birds. Like, but I think we've done a pretty good job. Uh, I don't know if you saw this earlier, but major Arlene bought a book called, um, it's called effing birds. And it's just like this crazy bird trivia book. And I'm like, send me a fucking copy of that. Like, I need to do my research, bro. We get, we got to deliver. We only got like 150 bird puns right now. Not to shoot ourselves in the foot. <laughs> well, Falco is pretty much, he doesn't have an accent or anything. He's just so. He's like he's you so, turned up to 11. Uh, just saying a lot. Right. He's just so, <laughs> he's just so excited to let you know that uh, the bird band's here. Yeah. Well, originally, you know, I this think. This bird's got brains. I, I told you that I wanted him to be like, like Uncle Joe. If Uncle Joey were a mercenary, you know, that's that's kind of oh, how yeah. I envision him. And I think you had never seen Full House at that point, which is that's fine. You don't need to watch Full House. Uh, I have actually. I, I okay. I actually grew up watching Full House. Okay, good. I, okay, I know a hundred percent Full House. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun but, flies when you're doing time. <laughs> I've like, got wings of steel. I, I'm proud. I'm bird the most is the word. I'm the most proud of the like the girlfriend, the ex-girlfriend jokes or like, I think that's the best writing that you and I have done so far. Call me a chicken one more time. <laughs> I love these things. <laughs> I got your caca right here, pal. <laughs> oh, we got some one liners for days, man. These uh, these video game folks—they don't know what they're getting into. It's I'm, uh, uh, I'm not your personal airliner. All right. <laughs> what? One Go thing ahead. that I think. Go ahead. Kiss my tail feather. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> we we gotta. We've got a pretty sizable document. I actually, now that I'm scrolling through it, I didn't realize how much we wrote, but I wanted to ask you something like about creativity. And I, I think that you'll probably vibe with me on this. So do you, do you have like a switch that you could just turn on and be creative or like, cause I feel like I have to just catch the wave. It's like surfing to me. And sometimes I miss the wave and, but sometimes when I catch it, I just, I'm so productive. I just I have to catch the creativity when and if it comes at four o'clock in the morning or if it comes at uh, six p.m. it doesn't matter. <laughs> That's when I get most of my shit done. Um, so like for instance, I haven't written a single one of these one-liners in what, like how long have we been developing this? Like this document was made forever ago. Probably. I mean, like probably like it, October of like last last year. Yeah, right? you you and I were like sitting in my office at the old house that I had. And we just wrote 
I mean, good. How many lines is this? We wrote all of this in like a couple of days, yeah, and like haven't touched it since. Pages. It's wild. Yeah, and and I think there's always room for more. I really, honestly, we we really could make more. <laughs> we have to. We we're we're going to give the audience what they want. We have to. There has to, this. This has to be like stupid, stupid dad joke funny all the way through, or else we failed. We can't. We can't afford to. <laughs> walk out there with less yeah, than we, less than our best we we don't fail out here that's not our goal we don't <laughs> fail out here but but yeah we've been working on this for a long time and i think for me as a creative process uh the i, I don't know what it is i have like a competitive edge as soon as somebody tells me chris turn on the jets we need the Jets on. And I'm like, okay, okay. You want the Jets on? I'll give you the fucking Jets. I got the Jets right here for you. Right here, right here. And all of a sudden, as soon as I get into it, as soon as I start typing away, as soon as I start t- talking into the microphone, uh, I get this enthusiasm, this crazy just just energy. And I'm just like, I'm ready to go. I'm ready for the challenge. And I'll do everything, man. I'll have like 10 tabs open of the things that I'm wondering about and, and thinking about and, and wanting to study. And um, I'll think about um, the character itself and I'll close my eyes and I'll, and I'll see the scene in my head and think like, oh, you know, cat is flying away. Bon voyage, Falco. And, and she, you know, she's getting further and further away from the microphone and, and um, she's flying away. That's the scene, you know? We need the voice actress to be able to fly away and and make Falco think like, damn, where did you go this time, Cat? I miss you, you know? And 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 the whole scene is is truly things that come down to uh as 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 ecstatic and and, and wacky as they are, I mean, the truth is is that these two characters, you know, Falco and Cat there's still some sort of really deep rooted kind of romantic connection there. And we, we need to give that to the audience. And so me as, as a person that loves to dig into behaviors and, and, and wants and desires, there's a deep part of Falco that really needs her. Right. And so we need the audience to be able to connect in that way, whether it be through voice or, or visuals or sounds and, and, and whatever it may be uh at the end of the day the game truly needs a soul and i can't wait to give every bit of soul to that game it's it's fun it's exciting yeah it it, so like what i was what i was kind of trying to illustrate there is that i don't have that just like on switch where it's like bam so for instance the other day I had a, I had been asked, I'm sort of writing, you know, for a project that I can't talk about right now, but that's not the important detail here. And so I was given an assignment to like come up with ideas for, you know, characters or whatever, or, or like groups. And, and, and so I, I say, okay, um, I will do that. I need you to just like, give me some time to think about it. And then, you know, I'll get back to you soon. And I did nothing at all for like several days, maybe a week where I just like made zero progress on it. 
And then I'm, I'm sitting in my living room one morning. It's me and my uncle and my mom, and we're all chatting. And then I just felt it. I felt the wave come up behind me, that creative, inf- like just the, the energy that I needed from the universe. And I stood straight up and I said, I got to go. Walked straight to my desk, sat down, banged out the whole document in like maybe an hour. <laughs> Perfectly proofread it, you know, like did all the, everything. Send it off. And then go sit back in the living room like, hey, how's everybody doing? And I was like, that was it. And I felt so good. But that's how I have to be. That, that is how my creativity comes. And usually, it's it was odd to me at that moment that it happened while I was sitting with a, a group of other people. Because usually, I am the most creative when I'm alone. And, and there's no one else talking to me. And I can just focus on the task at hand. Like When everyone else is asleep, my brain comes on full force. Um, but then there's the other part of it that is like, so in brainstorming sessions, when, you know, if it's you and I, and, uh, maybe like scumhead or Uber or Nabe, and we're just, just blabbering out ideas through conversation. And it's like, oh shit, that's a great idea. And we write that down and that's it. That's a great practice. I think for me, for setting the, set, setting the kind of standard of like, okay, these are the things I need to be thinking about, but the creativity for me won't come until later until I've had time to process it and just like, and catch one of those waves and run straight towards an assignment. I'm sorry. That was long winded. There was absolutely nothing wrong. Long winded <laughs> about that. I think uh, your point is valid and um, there's so many great writers that talk about that. Like, man, they'll have like writer's block or some sort of creative block where, you know, they're just sitting at their computer or waiting around for days and days waiting for that like spark to just happen. And then all of a sudden it happens and damn, there's like 60 pages on the table. Like what the fuck just happened? You know, and everybody's creative process is different. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't, did I ever tell you about the time that I wrote a book? <laughs> I, man, maybe, maybe, maybe you did when you were like drunk off your ass one night I, and you just told me about it, but. I, I so this was, Go for I, it. it's not a, a piece of work that I'm particularly proud of or anything. I'm not going to like try to sell it or tell anybody what it is. It doesn't matter. But the, I'm just, I, I just woke up one day and I just, I was reading or I probably, I'd probably just been reading like some like George R. R. Martin, some like really, really good shit. And then I just got it in my head. It was like, I, I don't think I'll ever be a writer and I still don't, or at least not a novelist. You know, I, I'm, I'm certainly in many ways already a writer, but you get what I'm saying. Like I was thinking like, I want to tr- understand what it's like, even if it's just the tip of the iceberg to write a, a novella, which is ultimately what I ended up writing. And, and so I just did it over the course of like several months. I, I would just kind of wait around. And then one day that creative wave would hit me and I'd go straight to my office and I'd write several chapters and then, come back later when another creative wave hit me and proofread it all and then publish it. And I did like four volumes that added up to one uh, novella. And I'm not proud of like, I don't even say I'm not proud of it, but like, I'm, I don't think it's like a particularly good piece of writing or anything like that, but I am just proud that I was so motivated <laughs> to do that, that I actually did it. And I don't, I don't know if you, 
I don't know if you have anything analogous to that, but you, you strike me as the kind of person like where you, you'll just do shit for the sake of doing it. Like when I went to see you do, uh, like you, you dragged me out to a stand up comedy open mic and so that you could do Shakespeare. <laughs> like that's the kind of person you are. Yeah. Right. You know, and you, you're performing yeah, in front of a group of people, a small group of people who are basically all stand up comedians. And you just, I'm just going to do King Henry the eighth. I'm not a comedian. And then you just do it. And then there's no reaction from the audience, and you're like, "Thank you, everybody," and you walk away. I'm like, the, the amount of just because I don't confidence. give a fuck. Yeah, I know. I know. But- I really don't. And and the thing is, is that there's such it's such a niche, you know, for somebody to actually truly be interested in the Shakespeare, for somebody to 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 truly want to understand what this guy is saying from like the 1600s, the 1500s. It's it's so uncommon. You know, people are sleeping in high school right now reading Henry VIII or whatever the fuck it is, Henry III. Um, and I happen to just fucking fall in love with it, man. This is, and, and, I, and I don't back away from it. I know who I am. That's me. I don't give a fuck. If you don't want to hear it, good luck, pal. That show was free. I don't give a fuck. You're going to hear some fucking Henry III right in front of you. You're going to hear some fucking Hotspur, scene three, act two. I don't give a fuck. You understand? That's the kind of guy I am. I really don't care. And and uh, it's the creative process. There's all kinds of different people in the creative process, right? There's, there's you, there's me, there's Ben, there's fucking scumhead, whatever the fuck you want to call in here. <laughs> Um, it's so funny to me that but, his but, name is but, scumhead i mean his name is sam and i think everybody knows that but like he's he's just scumhead and everyone just like everyone else on the team i naturally default to their name right like i call you chris i mean you don't, you're not like a gamer you don't have like a, a handle right usually but no yeah but like you know uber i call him michael when i talk to him when i t- when i talk to benjamin we call him ben but we just call scumhead scumhead <laughs> And no one ever questions it. It's so funny to me. Like it's so it's so weird to me. Like a when when I get referred to as the motherload instead of as Ty Brandon, like it just it's so odd. Like in that magazine article I sent you earlier, I'm like that's that's not my mm-hmm. name. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I still get thrown off of it sometimes because I have I have video game friends that literally call me my video game fucking name. Oh yeah, 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 yeah for sure. Like, whatever it is, but it's normal yeah, within a certain context. That for years, you know, it's like right. Yeah, it's within a certain context. It's completely normal, but it, when you're like, I don't know, I just, it just feels so weird, like to have. I know that there are like a lot of people who I don't know who know who I am and they know me as that name and not as my actual name. And I would imagine that's very similar for an actor who's played like a very big role, you know, in, in something that a lot of people saw and people don't necessarily know who the actor is, but they saw that, that performance and they identify you with that character. It's very strange. And I do. Or some shit like that. Yeah. Like I, I wish <laughs> the mother load was a performance, but it, it's just me. <laughs> I'm so fascinated by acting. I I just straight up can't be not myself. It's so difficult to like just. I. It, it's not a natural process, man. It's it no, takes it's so not. much time and so much. Uh, 
so much attention to detail and so much desire to want to understand these these people and, and, and develop them. It's, it's, it takes a lot of time. And I'll tell you, man, one, one of the biggest motivations is seeing is seeing some of my friends in, in an acting class that I've known for years, just years. I've known them in the trenches, man. I'm not fucking around. I've known them in the trenches since day one, from year one to year six, right? And I see these actors just spending it has to be a thousand hours, a thousand, if not more, just slaving away, reading these lines over and over again, waking up on their days off from work, fucking around as another person and, and having the confidence to be British. You know, you go out to fucking the, the movie theater and you're British. You're, you're a fucking British guy. I, I could right? not fucking believe and No it. matter how, when you, no matter how you bad to- you are, <laughs> when, when we you asked know, you to no do a British accent and then Tristan was like yeah. that's pretty good I was like what no way like that is crazy and you did with like three yeah, different from- types too like you were like different regions even and he was like that sounds pretty good to me and I was like no fucking way like that I don't understand and it's from I mean- years and years and years of experience and and being able to understand that like it's embarrassing, you know. Somebody's gonna call you out, and somebody's gonna be like, "Dude, you're not fucking British," and you're gonna be like, "Yeah, I know, but I'm a fucking actor." You know, that's what I am. And you got to keep going and keep going and trudging through all of the shame and all of the insecurities that you have and all of the things that make you feel uncomfortable. And after years and years of experience. You get good at it, man. <laughs> Just like anything else in this world. And it's amazing what humans are truly capable of. You can be somebody else and it's going to take time. But if that is your goal, to truly live in the moment as another person and break through the matrix, right? Break through like whatever kind of solidified mindset or or idea of like what life is supposed to be like if you can break through it man you can realize that there's so much more in this world than just whatever you are there's and 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 in a lot of ways acting is psychedelic man it's it's so crazy it's so intense it's such a life-changing experience that I wish that I could just share it with everybody without making them go through, you know, years and years of training and years and years of dedication. I I really, truly, honest to God, wish I could just create a PowerPoint or a presentation where everybody could understand what it's like to just sit down and understand each other and, and, and dive into like the deep, you know, philosophical and, and psychological parts of the human brain. And not even, you don't even have to be human. You know, actors are playing fucking cats. Actors are playing uh, birds. I'm playing a fucking bird man, right? I'm playing, actors are playing ants. They're they're playing uh, aliens. They're playing monsters. Actors are everything. They're ghosts. Who the fuck knows? Who's the gentleman who uh, played Gollum in Lord of the Rings? I don't know, but he fucking killed it. And he got (laughs) paid lots of money because he's good at it. 
but you and know, you he's know like what? you've he seen the pictures where he has on like the the mocap suit and he's like crawling he's just like bending his body in all this weird contortionist ways to like inhabit Gollum. yes it's so yes, crazy and yeah. rightfully deserved because there's not a lot of people who have the respect for the craft like that gentleman and and um man i really wish i could i could offer everybody i wish i could offer everybody a turning you know an on and off switch to being in the moment because that's just the fucking, that's just the entry. That's just the entry level ticket. That's it. That's just the beginning. Once you learn how to be in the moment, that's just the, the fucking tip of the spear, man. Once you get to add on all of the other layers and, and enjoy each other's company and, and start understanding what the material is about and what the director wants and what the writer's thinking and, you know, and what the other actors are coming up with. You have a fucking scene. It's not just a fucking, I, I don't know what you want to call it, a fucking uh, people doing make-believe, you know, kindergartners playing with Legos, thinking like, oh, I'm flying a fucking plane out here. This is a fucking scene out here. Make it happen, man. Make it real. Give the audience a genuine, true performance. And that's all I want to do with my life. Hmm. Okay, so but you're not just an actor anymore, like you're also writing and 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 in many ways you're like directing the entire every voice line in this thing. You know, it's not just you know, it's not just you, it's Cat and there's also all of the the boss and characters and different people that you interact with throughout the game, right? Um like how how do you I, I know you say like anything to do with acting like just you, you don't even consider it work but like I, i'm so interested in where your where does your creativity come from because you're able to do so many from, things it, it comes from repetition like a lot of things uh I, i've been writing my own movie uh through a free software called celtics which is really great for anybody that wants to write and just start practicing what we use. start understanding because you introduced me to it yeah I, yeah so i actually have final draft um final draft is something that i've been using for the past i want to say three months mm -hmm. um but for celtics i've been using celtics as a free software for my movie uh since i was 18 i'm 27 years old now so what is that like a, a good nine years of experience um and my movie that i've been my feature film that I've been creating for myself, I've been working on that for nine years. It's a repetition. It is something that I sit down and I think like, damn, like, yeah. I know that I don't like this part of the movie. You know, there's going to be nights where I sit there and sometimes there's a spark, man. And there's a spark and there's all of a sudden there's 30 pages, you know, 10 hours later. And I'm like, how the fuck did that even come out of me? And I, I, I don't know. But the thing is, is that I don't feel like it's a chore. It's not a, it's not a job. It's a true passion. And I'm so fucking lucky. And I'm also cursed that this is what I love. This is what I love to do. So everything having to do with storytelling is, is something that I'm enthusiastic and, and energized and passionate about. It's, it's, uh, it is me. It is everything about me, and, and uh, I'm confident 
you know, that's just who I am. And, and, uh, writing happens to be a part of that. And, and, uh, even, even podcasting, you know, like I had to teach myself how to do voice acting and how to do, uh, uh, sound and video editing. And, and it's not easy, man. Anybody that wants to jump into this shit, it takes time. You're going to have some fuck ups. You're gonna have some podcasts where it doesn't even work. You're going to be sitting there like, Oh my God, I spent three hours and I didn't get the audio and now I'm a fucking idiot. And I'm going to say, sorry, I can tell you some podcasted with some serious horror stories. You know, if you're interested, but I've been, I've been doing this podcast game for quite a while. (laughs) I feel like I've, I've seen a lot of different situations that can go awry. Um, and usually like when I, when I talk to people, cause sometimes I'll do like consultations with people who want to get into podcasting and, you know, the, you know, the initial question is always, oh, so how do I do it? You know? And I'm like, okay, uh, meet me, you know, we'll spend like an hour or two hours and I'll, I'll give you the rundown, just this very simple run through of what this means and how you're going to distribute it and how you're going to edit it, everything. I could do that. I've, I could write an article easily on this. 95% of the time that I've done any consultation when it comes to podcasting, people will sooner offer me money to to do it for them than actually want to put in the work to produce and distribute the podcast. Like, across the board. And honestly, when I started in the keep, I felt the same way. I had I had a state of quake doing the editing and distribution for it, you know, just out of the kindness of their hearts, and and I was just so hungry to have complete control over what I was doing. And, and it's not like they did anything wrong; they did a perfectly consummate job. It's just that you know I wanted it to be all mine, and I wanted it to be like, I, I it was it was like embarrassing, the fact that I didn't know how to use Audacity, you know. Like that, the audacity of of me to to like act like I'm some kind of podcaster and I don't even know how to edit my own shit. So like seven or eight episodes in, bro, I just took over completely. I'm I sat down long hours, learned video or not really video. I, I do know some video editing, but specifically the audio editing. I just decided I was going to be good at that, and then I became pretty damn good at it. I think at least within my uh, wheelhouse, you know, vocal audio like this, where it's just two people talking is very, um, low on the totem pole of difficulty and editing compared to something like what Ben does, you know? I understand. Yeah. But you're, you're one of the few people I know who's like that, where you'll just like, you you'll you'll see a challenge not as like a a barrier of entry but as more like a like a rite of passage you know instead of, instead of seeing this difficult skill you have to learn in order to obtain your goals as like a well i guess i'm not doing that you're the kind of person who will much sooner just dive in full force and then tr- come out knowing basically oh, every aspect of what it is that you do. So, so I wanted to ask because of that, what's the difference uh, in mindset for you? Because often, you know, you're most of the time you're actor, Chris, where you're auditioning for shit that you probably don't even really care about. You know, you're just trying to get a part or whatever. 
to being the casting director on something where you're like listening to other people go through the same process that you go through and and then kind of making those hard like judgments of like this is right this is wrong i think the one of the things that i noticed about myself as soon as i got into the casting director slot mm-hmm. is that casting is it's always seen as kind of like an evil you know like they're the they're the ones that are choosing you you have to be chosen for this role and you know actors are always fighting tooth and nail for for a role you know we just we need these roles to be able to say like hey i've done something you know and for me personally i i love to see an actor that at least tries to be professional that at least tries to bring to the table um, any kind of background that they have. I don't, I don't know all the time what it's going to be. Some actors are not really actors, you know, and that's okay. Um, some actors are dancers or they're painters or they're makeup artists or they're, there's somebody that just genuinely had an interest of being creative and wanted to expand their creativity in some other way. I think for me, as a casting director, the number one thing that I respect is somebody that has all of the things that an actor should have when they're auditioning for a role. So let's say one of the first things you need, everybody that's an actor is going to tell you the first thing you need is a headshot. You need a picture of yourself that is clear, it's presentable, it shows who you really look like, it shows the kind of person that you would like to portray, blah, blah, blah. Not everybody's going to have a great headshot. Some people just have pictures of them, you know, in their bedroom or their kitchen. And it's just a headshot from torso to head or from shoulder to head, you know, something like that. doesn't matter. Next thing you need is a resume. You need to let us know, hey, you know, how, how dedicated have you been to this craft? It's just like going into a job resume. You know, you want to work at the Toyota car plant, you know. How, how much experience do you have working with machinery? Well, I want to know as an actor, you know, uh, how many school plays have you been in? How many uh, commercials have you been in? How many, uh, how many, how many years have you been in training? Uh, what, what's your background on anything? And, and it could be dancing. It could be uh, sculpting. I God, I don't fucking know. Maybe you're a great guitar player, but I want to know, you know, what you're up to. So a resume is really important. And then number three, in your audition, I need to know that you can give us versatility. You can give us your perspective on what this character should be. And then when I give you the script, that you have these needs and wants and desires, and and you have this idea of what this character could be. And you'll notice in some of these auditions that we have is that some of these auditions are not good simply off the bat, that they are sounding plain Jane. They don't offer you anything. They didn't, they didn't give you a, a certain question in your mind of like, oh my God, but what happens next? You know? And that's what the audience wants. They, they want to know what's going to happen next. They don't want to already have in their head of like what's going to happen. And the actors that, that do shine through, those are the ones that do their homework. They sit down and they think, what about this, this kind of way? If I wanted to make the character, you know, walk in 
and make Falco sad. Or I wanted to make Falco uh, giggly. Or I wanted to make Falco uh, insecure. You know, you would walk in as the character and say it in a certain way that would affect this person, you know? And casting is difficult because there's going to be that that really, really tight uh, group of people that are like, it'll be like three or four people down to the wire. Like, who's the right guy? Who's the right girl for this role? And in the end, on that second audition, I mean, it sucks. You, you got to be chosen. Acting is not easy. And I don't have any sympathy for the ones that don't put in enough effort because uh, I've been in that seat for so long. But if you're there with the intention of giving us as much versatility and as much different options and, you know, really putting your input about the character and you care, you know, it shines through and, and your professionalism will, will get you to the places you want to go. There's really nothing's, there's nothing more than a letdown of a letdown to me than like when you're, you have to work on something with someone who clearly does not give a shit about the end result. Like they're just, you know, there's a difference between working someone who were like, where it's like, this is just my job. And when they're like, like, as you said, passionate about it and like, they actually do care about the product that comes out of their, their labor. And that's actually quite rare. Like most people are just looking for a job at the end of the day. And it's not like uh, it's not like Stellar Valkyrie is going to make anyone a fucking millionaire necessarily either. It's just you know, we're looking for people who are interested in an opportunity and being part of something interesting and cool. Um, because I can, as much as I love this game, and I know a lot of the people in our community will also love this type of game. Um, you know, we're not we're not going to make Elden Ring money off of Stellar Valkyrie. That's just it's ridiculous. We, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. so it's got it's all everyone's just like here because it's like it, it, it's a passion and an opportunity and i love working with highly motivated individuals like this yeah man and, and being this way it's it's going to be hard if you want to be an actor and you want to be passionate and motivated and, and, and all about it it's uh it's a tough path man i'm going to tell you that right now it is a classic, it's a classic starving artist p- path. And be ready to be hungry. Be ready to not have money to pay your fucking bills. Be ready to sacrifice some things that you didn't want to sacrifice. And, you know, uh, people aren't going to like you for whatever fucking reason. I don't give a fuck. But if you like it, and this is your life, it's not going to be easy. Just, you'll know it. If it's for you, it's for you. You'll know it. It's pretty deep, man. I feel like you go, you go pretty, uh, you go pretty hard. You go a little, sometimes a little too hard. Sometimes I wish you just like, you know, I, I wish that you could relax. Sometimes. 
it's like you're just so you're so excited and so passionate about everything that you want to you know that you're working on it it honestly sometimes i feel like you you end up in weird situations uh with other people because you genuinely are only interested in just like having experiences that are going to better you and and making you what you intend to be in the future whereas they'll see it as like this sort of insane behavior and i i know because i've been on the other side of that where it's just like you know why why is this guy so obsessed with dancing five nights a week or why is this guy so obsessed with you know whatever the fuck you and and you and you're also like a it's almost um I'm not saying you're one dimensional, but like there's a, there's a a you when people want to talk about other subjects and there's a you when people want to talk about acting. Oh yeah, I know. You'd really have to tell me, like you have to pull me aside and say like, Chris, calm down. Like you got to change. Yeah. yeah. You you really have to pull me aside and say that because I won't shut up. Uh, I'll go and go and go until (laughs) the sun comes up. Yeah. We were like an hour and 43 minutes in. Uh, do you, do you want to take a little break? You want to call it here? What do you want to do? I think calling it here is just fine. Yeah, I feel, I feel like this is good. Um, just to, to kind of summarize everything up right now. Um, Stellar Valkyrie is actually, we're on a, like a little bit of like a, like a semi-development hiatus. So things are still being done, uh, but... The, the crux of the thing is that we, Chris and I have to hire a, a new voice actress to play cat. And so until we get that and like a few more voice lines done, there's really just like, there's nothing more we can do. We're very, very, very close to putting our demo together for, for internal testing before, uh, you know, we have anything to show to the public, but I'm, I'm so excited right now about, not just Stellar Valkyrie, but also, you know, Call of Storegnar's demo is out right now. We're getting so much, like, awesome feedback and, and interest from people that I honestly thought would not be interested in this stuff. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm honored to work on a team with, with people like you, Chris. You're, you're definitely one of my favorite uh, individuals in both uh, personal and professional life. I feel the same way, man. I'm so happy I get to be a part of a team that, that really cares about making a good game. <laughs> so yeah, let's uh, call it here, but yeah, let's do this again. Yeah, this is really fun. Mm-hmm.